Lesson 2 today, we are uh, looking at Paul's prayer of thanksgiving, and we're going to be uh, looking at a lot of the epistles that Paul writes. He always starts out, even before he gives instruction, giving a prayer of thanksgiving. He's, he's trying to relay some truths, really, I mean, he's really communicating what he's praying, but there are some profound truths there for you and I as we think about his prayer life and the impact that that prayer life should have on you and I as we pray for others ourselves. And so, and, and this is particularly interesting because Paul's going to start out his prayer with a prayer of thanksgiving for these folks and then he's going to proceed right into dealing with their problems. And there's a lot of problems in this church, but I find it very interesting that he spends time thanking God for them for the work of the gospel in their life, for what God is doing in their life. Even though they got all these problems, and they got a lot of problems, we're going to see them as we, we proceed on here through the next coming weeks, but we see that Paul expresses thanksgiving to them. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9 of 1 Corinthians. Let me read these verses to you before we proceed and look specifically at the different things that he is praying. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so what we're going to see here is his prayer. So let's notice something, the prayer that he gives. We see it in the first part of verse 4. I want you to notice with me the phrase that he says, I thank my God always concerning you. So, I want you to know, the first thing we're going to see here is this. Paul thanked God for them. Paul thanked God for them. Now, this is a great point that we've got we to we spend some time on here. These people, I want you to understand where, where these people were at. Not only were they fussing and fighting among themselves, not only were they tolerating things that they should not be tolerating, not only were they messed up in their thinking in a lot of different ways, these folks were also beginning to criticize Paul. They were already criticizing Paul, criticizing his ministry, criticizing who he was. They were rejecting him as an apostle. So not only do they have problems, they've got an attitude towards Paul. Some of them do. And Paul starts out his epistle to them saying, I thank my God for you always. Do you do that? Do the people that you have a problem with, do you thank God for them? There's an interesting lesson there, isn't it? The people who bother you, the people who irritate you, the people who maybe are slandering you, or the people who are... you just don't get along with. Do you thank God for them? 
Come on, let's be honest. How many of you say, Tom's honest? No. How many of you say, I agree with Tom? If you don't have your hand up, there's a problem. Why? Why would, why would he do that? Why would he thank God for people who, who are having a problem with him? Anybody? Why do you think he's got a problem? Okay, Tom. Okay, Tom says you're supposed to forgive your enemies, and he says that's what it's probably close to here. That's a good thought, Tom. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else got a different thought? Why do you think? Okay, Tim. Okay, so he's saying that, that you were saying that, that would drive Paul to, to God then. Okay. Anybody else? Why do you think? Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's what it is, and you and I need to grasp the reality of it. It is a picture of spiritual maturity. You want to write that down in your notes? You can't. Paul's thanking them is a picture of spiritual maturity. And you say, what do you mean by that, George? See, here's the thing. If, if you've got a problem and you're not able to thank God for the people that irritate you or that have a problem with you, then you're not, you're not there spiritually. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I'm saying. Paul is at a place of spiritual maturity that even as he sees these folks, they're wrestling with his identity, they're wrestling, they're rejecting his apostleship because they've listened to other folks, in the, you know, other Judaizers or whatever who've come in. You know, in fact, you're going to see some of them say, well, you know, I follow Apollos, you know, another great teacher or whatever. Paul's able to express spiritual maturity because when you're spiritually mature, you understand where people are at. And so here he is. He's their spiritual father. He really is their spiritual father. He has started this church. And in his maturity, not his emotions, but in his maturity, he's able to look at them and he's able to say to them, you know, the saints ain't perfect yet. And they've got a long way to come. And I thank God that you're still working in their life, Lord. Bring them to where they need to be. And an instrument for bringing them where, to where they need to be is his writing them and correcting them. See, Paul's able to express to them maturity because he recognizes where they're at. They need Jesus. See, the only way you're going to be able to be thankful to God for the people who are irritated with you or saying things about you or that you don't get along with is that you begin to recognize, not look at them from your human perspective, because that's how we look at it, from our human perspective. But you begin to look at it from a spiritual perspective, from the way that God sees them and you recognize and you say to them, hmm, they need Jesus. They really need Jesus. That's why when Isaiah, Isaiah says this, love covers a multitude of sins. Out of love, and we're going to see that Paul has a love for them, he's able to overlook what? Yeah, their sins, the things they're doing. You know? It's like a parent. You maybe have a child that maybe is rebellious, and that, that child rejects and says, I hate you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Get out of my life. And we, you know, we, we know children who've done that kind of thing. The parent, what is the parent? Is he going to say, well, okay, fine. You're out of here. I no longer love you. What does the parent do? Anybody? He keeps loving. 
Why? Because the parent understands where the child really is at. And that the child needs to what? Move and grow and mature. See, this is why Paul's able to, to thank God. So, the first thing I want you to see about his prayer is, is that he thanked God for them. The second thing, it's just like with this one, but there's one added other key, key phrase here that you and I need to grasp, and that's this. Paul was consistent in thanking God for them. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Jesus, I thank God for that person who's doing me wrong. Amen. Got that out of the way. Wonderful. That's not the attitude here. He is thanking them on a consistent basis. He's thanking God on a consistent basis for them. You know, Tim, your answer was great. And and Tim said it would drive Paul to God. Because here's the thing. Do you think the things that are being said hurt Paul? Anybody? You think he was upset by what he saw them doing? You think it grieved his spirit? Yeah, we're going to see that it did. So, and, and, and it's not natural for us to thank God for bad things, is it? Is it natural? Does that come easy for you? No, no, not at all. Here's what's happening. When he's going consistently and thanking God for them, he's throwing himself and the things that they're saying about him and the things that they're doing that are offending him and hurting him, he's throwing himself on God. Because he recognizes, this is spiritual maturity. I can't do it. It's got to be God through me doing it. And so he's going to be consistently going to God and thanking God for those people. Consistently. Consistently. So you see his prayer. He just doesn't just pray for them and thank God for them. He thanks God for them consistently. So I want you to notice now, here's the object of Paul's prayer. Here's why he's praying this. Here's why he's thankful. Look with me again at verse 4. I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now, the object of his prayer, we're going to get here in a moment and see exactly different things, but the object of his prayer was the Corinthian believers. The Corinthian believers were the object of his thanksgiving. These messed up folk. Now, these, these are normal Christian people. Probably they're just like you and I, except they've got some issues that they're dealing with. And he wrote a letter that happened to be in the Bible about them. I, you know, I really believe this. I believe that the Corinthian church was not the only church that struggled. In fact, a lot of the epistles are epistles instructing churches because of their problems. And, and by this time, there are a lot of different churches. And I don't think that this, this just happens to be the one that that is inspired that is in our canon. I think there were other churches going through different things. In fact, if you read the, the book of Revelation, the first seven churches, you'll find some churches there that were doing things that make these guys look like they're altar boys, that they're doing okay. The church at Thyatira is one of them. So the object of his prayer was these Corinthian believers. Now, I want you to notice the basis for his thanksgiving. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We're going to look at the last part of verse 4 through verse 9. And we're going to see why he's able to give thanks. And I want you folks to grasp the reality of that. Why is he able 
to give thanks. And so I want you to notice, first of all, Paul thanked God for his grace that was given to them through Jesus' work. Paul thanked God for his grace that was given to them through Jesus' work. You know what the first thing you can thank God for if it's a believer, even if that believer is irritating you? You can thank God for the grace that was given to them. Now, let me explain to you what grace is. Because grace is a concept that is very hard for us as Americans to understand. The theological definition of grace is unmerited favor. Now, you say, what does that mean, George? Well, here's what it means. Getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. Now, why is that difficult for us as Americans to grasp a hold of? Because we live in a country today where everybody feels that they deserve everything. Do you understand that? Everybody feels they deserve everything, and that's what's going on. And so it's very hard for us to assume something that we don't deserve something. And so whether you realize it or not, you really get to the place where you can start thinking that you deserve God's mercy and grace in your life. God's salvation. You don't deserve his salvation. What do you deserve? Yeah, hell. You and I deserve to be punished in hell for our sins. Even if you led a perfect life and you just had one little wee one, you deserve to go to hell. And he's thankful for these Corinthian believers because of the grace that was shown to them because of Jesus' work. Because of, what was Jesus' work? Anybody? What was Jesus' work? Yes, Marilyn said it. He died on the cross on our behalf, satisfying the wrath of God. He is the propitiation or wrath satisfier. The wrath that was directed towards you and I, he took upon himself. And so Paul is thankful of, for grace that was shown. For mercy. Here, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to think with me for a moment. I want you to think about the people in your life. Think about the people that live in your community. Think about the people that you pass by in cars, people that you see in Walmart. I want you to think about just people in this area for a moment. Would you say that most of them don't know Jesus? Most of them have a destiny that is headed to where? Hell. Now, you do know some people who do know Jesus, right? Obviously, so you're here with a bunch of folks today. That should bring out thanksgiving. That God showed grace to some. Do you understand what I'm saying? That should bring out thanksgiving to God's grace. Because we could be just like everybody else. We could be just like everybody else. You know, I think back to 1985, April of 1985, when I committed my life to Jesus Christ. It is very obvious to me that if he hadn't saved me, if he hadn't come into my life, I don't know where I'd be right now. I sure wouldn't be married with four kids. I don't know where I'd be. I really don't. Because of the background that I had, my life would be messed up. But God, in his grace, reached down and touched my life 
changed forever my life and my direction and my path. And he blessed me in so many ways with a beautiful wife and lovely children. He blessed me in so many ways. See, Paul, when he looked at them, he could be thankful for them because he saw God's grace working in their life. You know what? When you pray for people, you need to be thankful, especially if they're believers. You need to be thankful. Lord, thank you that they know you. Thank you that they have come to you. Thank you for faith. Thank you for salvation. Thank you. Now, the next thing he's thankful for is the issue of enrichment. And I want you to notice, first of all, through Jesus, they were enriched in every way. So, here's what he's saying. Maybe you don't even realize this for your life. A lot of times there's a concept concerning salvation that I come to Jesus and then I'm left on my own and basically it's up to me now until I go to be with Jesus. And of course I get heaven then, but until then I'm just left on my own to do whatever and I'm by myself. A lot of us have that concept or we know of that concept, right? And, and the deadly thing is, is that where you get to the place where you embrace that concept, because I'm going to be honest with you, why is that deadly? Because if you embrace that concept, if you embrace that concept, here's the problem. It's going to lead to spiritual defeat in your life. You're just going to be a mess, spiritually. Now, your notebook there talks about a scripture reading, and I'll, I'll give it to you. It's 2 Peter 3.1. Peter, talking about the same thing in his second epistle, says this, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His glory and virtue. Here's what Peter says. Just like Paul, he's thanking them for, for the enrichment in their life of the gospel. Here's what he's saying. They've, they've been equipped. Peter says this. God's divine power. What's His divine power? The Holy Spirit. Okay, when did the Holy Spirit come into your life? When you were saved, okay, when you came, make that commitment to follow Jesus, He has given you everything you need for life. What's life? Every day. And He makes it a little bit more specific now. And godliness. What's godliness, everybody? Yes, following Christ, how you live your life. Living for Christ, okay? Through, and here's how you access it. Because you say, well, man, if he's done that for me, how come I'm having problems? You know, I mean, if he gave me everything, how come I'm having problems? Here's what he said. Notice what he says. Through the knowledge of him. Now, that word knowledge is not a knowledge of facts. So, grabbing one of my theology books downstairs is not going to help you for life. You're going to know a lot of stuff, but that isn't going to necessarily help you. The knowledge that he's talking about here is an experiential knowledge. And what he wants you to see is, is that through your experience of a relationship, excuse me, fellowship with Jesus, growing time with Jesus, you have everything you need for life and godliness for that day. See, this is why it's so important that even if the only thing you do is, is you wake up in the morning and you just pray, that's the greatest thing you could do for your life that day. Even if that's all you do, I would say do beyond that. Read your word, read the word, and let God speak to you through the word. And so Paul's thanking them 
thanking God for the enrichment of these folks, that he has given them everything that they need for life. Do you realize that about yourself, that God has given you everything you need for your life right now? Do you realize that? Boy, that is so contrary to the way we think, isn't it? Because so many of us, when we face temptation, when we face temptation, what's the first thing that pops in our mind when we face temptation? Anybody? Nobody here faces temptation, right? What's the first thing that pops in your mind when you face temptation? Okay, Bruce, you said it. How am I going to beat this? Because what do you do when you're facing temptation and you ask that question, how am I going to beat this? Well, who are you looking to? Bruce said, yourself. And let me be honest with you. When it's just yourself, can you beat temptation? No. No. You've got to look to who? You know, very, very same epistle. We're going to see it later. He says, there's no temptation taken to man except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. And what? He will provide a way of escape. Does that not sound like enrichment? That he's given me everything I need for life? That God's going to provide a way out of it? So rather than looking to myself and realizing, man, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give in. You've got to look to God. All right, now look at the areas of enrichment. Paul is praying specifically here about two specific areas, and I think these are going to be very helpful. He's thankful that God has enriched him in two specific areas, and I want you to notice what it says here. Look with me. In all utterance, verse 5, and all knowledge. So here's the first thing. It's the area of speech. Jesus has enriched us in the ability to speak the truth. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are worried about sharing your faith with others because you feel like, well, I don't know as much as George does. And man, what if they ask me a crazy question like, does Adam and Eve have, did they have a belly button? You know? Or where did Cain get his wife? Okay. Never, somebody has. Okay. Or some philosophical question, well, how many angels can fit on a, pin, a head of a pin? You know? Or can God create a rock big enough that he can't pick up? I mean, those are philosophical questions. Now, now here's my point. So you're worried about sharing your faith because you feel that you don't have enough to say. How many of you are like that? All of us, right. Okay. Here's what he's saying. He is thankful for them that God has enriched them to be able to communicate truth. What is, that, what is the implication of that for you and I? God's given you everything you need to do to communicate truth to the people around you. And if somebody asks you a crazy question about belly buttons, you need to just say, I don't know. I don't know. But really, that's not the issue. You know, so, I mean, but my whole point is, is don't you be intimidated. God's given you the strength. Think about it. I want you to think about it. I want you to hold on a minute. I want you to go with me in your mind to act. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin testifying for Jesus. And the scripture says that they, they, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, were astonished and marveled at these men because they recognized that they were, and the scripture says this, ignorant fishermen. So these were uneducated guys who didn't have any degrees. And here's what it says. They recognized they were Ignorant fishermen, except for one thing. 
They had been with Jesus. See, God, notice what it says here. Look, at, look with me at verse 5. And all that you are enriched in every way by Him. Who's Him? Jesus. What? In all utterance. So he was thankful for that. Not only is he thankful for that, he's thankful for the issue of knowledge here. And Jesus has enriched us in an understanding of the truth. Now, this word knowledge is a different word than the word we just talked about earlier. This word is the word concerning facts. Truth. Not an experiential thing, but what is concrete. So now he's saying he is thankful for what? He is thankful for them not only being enriched in knowing what to say, but in knowing the truth. Listen, do you ever wonder why when, when an unsaved person reads the Bible, they don't seem to get it? But then when you open up the very same pages, it just jumps out at you. And you understand it. You grab a hold of it. You know what it's talking about. I can even, you know, I came to Christ as a 19-year-old. I had read, read, the, read the New Testament in different books before. And it didn't really make any sense to me. But when I came to faith, He had enriched me so that I could read it and understand it and communicate it. The fact that you understand it is because Jesus has enriched you to understand it. And that's what Paul's thankful for. You don't need somebody with a bunch of degrees telling you what it means. You need the Holy Spirit. And listen, I think it's great for the Holy Spirit to tell you, don't you? Because he's the one who inspired them how to write it in the first place. So who, who would you rather have talk to you about it? The Holy Spirit or some guy who thinks he knows what it's talking about? You know, the Holy Spirit. And so, he's thankful for that, for that enrichment, for that area of enrichment. Now, he goes on one step further, and this is the issue that he's thankful for, that you almost want to say, man, it doesn't even make sense that he's thankful for this. Look at what he says in verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Here's what he's thankful for. Paul was thankful that the testimony of Christ's salvation was confirmed in them. Now, we say, whoa, wait a minute, George. These folks got problems. In fact, we're getting ready to look. It starts out in verse 10 immediately discussing their problems. And what is he thankful for? The confirmation of salvation that is what? Evident in their life. The confirmation of salvation that is evident in their life. There is a tendency among the mature, that is, folks who've come to church a long, long time, to be very impatient with immature Christians. Why aren't they changing quick enough? Why aren't they dealing with that issue? Why aren't they dealing with that sin problem? Or they still got that nasty habit. Why don't they get rid of that nasty habit? And, and, and we'll talk like that, don't we? You know? And what I, what I mentioned yesterday is that we forget what we were like at first. And that somebody was really patient with us. And maybe we need to show the same patience 
See, this is a this is a very mature person here who's getting ready to rebuke them for all kinds of problems. I mean, they got some serious problems, but he's able to say, "God, thank you that I see this testimony of salvation in their life, even in spite of the problem." Don't you think we need to grasp a hold of that attitude? The saints ain't perfect. And just as somebody was patient with you in your growth, you need to be patient with other folks. Man, what a lesson. And that's what he's thankful here for. So then, he's thankful for their testimony. Now let's talk about their giftedness. Look at verse 7. So that you come short in no gift. Now here's the point. Paul was also thankful. Paul was also thankful that they were not lacking in any gift. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be very brutally honest with me. Don't hesitate raising your hand because you're going to be shocked to realize that you're not the only one who feels this way. How many of you feel deep in your heart that you really have nothing to offer God? Be honest. Let's be honest. And you can get defeated by that, can't you? What does, what does God want to do with me? I want you to notice what he's thankful for about these folks. Again, these are folks who've got problems. He is thankful that they lack in no gift. What gift is he specifically talking about here? He's talking about abilities that the Holy Spirit has given them in order to serve God. Now, for all of us here who feel that way, that we have nothing to offer God. Do you realize how our thinking is wrong? That God saved us to serve Him and that He has given each and every one of us, each and every one of you, including myself, abilities to be used to serve Him? Now, here's what we do, though. We'll look and say, well, man, how can God use me? I'm not like Billy Graham. God only made one Billy Graham. God only made one you. And have you noticed Billy Graham doesn't hang out in Kerwinsville? Anybody notice that? I mean, he doesn't even drive by. But you're here. Does that mean God can't do anything in this community because Billy Graham doesn't live here? But who lives here? Yeah, you do. God's given you the abilities. He's given you the gifts to serve Him here. To live out your testimony here. To encourage other believers here. And He says, look, I am thankful that you're not lacking in any gift. My friends, you've got to grasp that reality about you. You're not lacking in any gift. You're not lacking. Quit being down on yourself. Let's continue on. He also is thankful for their anticipation. Look with me at verse 7. Waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what he, he was also thankful. He was also thankful that they were living with an anticipation of Christ's return. He was also thankful that they were living with an anticipation of Christ's return. 
They lived every day wondering, is this the day Jesus is going to come back? Is this the day? Now, can I ask you a question? Do you live with that? Man, you need to. You and I need to because really, even if Jesus doesn't come back today, how do you know that you're going to make it through the end of the day? How do you know you're going to make it? You know, how do you know? So then look now, he, he's thankful for their assurance. Look at verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ will confirm us to the end. Christ will confirm us to the end. He is thankful for the assurance that they have that they're going to be confirmed to the very end. He's talking about eternal security here. He's talking about the surety of their salvation, the surety of their hope. He is thankful that they're anticipating Jesus and that they're just waiting for the time when, man, it will, it will all pan out no matter what this life holds, no matter what it throws at you. They have assurance. And here's, here's the purpose. Here's what the purpose is. Look with me. Who will also confirm you that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus is going to be working in your life until that time that Jesus Christ, he returns. And why is he working in your life? So that you're blameless. Here's what I want you to see. The next point there is this. The purpose of confirmation is that we will be blameless. The purpose of confirmation is that we will be blameless. It's for you and I to be blameless. So that you can stand before Jesus and you're okay. Now let me just stop for a moment. There's an interesting point here that we need to grasp. Who makes you blameless? Christ. Now who do we think makes us blameless? Yeah, ourselves. And you get defeated because you think Man, I'm not doing good. I'm not doing good. Man, he can't accept me. Tried, failed, but the basis for your being blameless before Christ is it have anything to do with you? No, it has to do with who? Jesus. That's the point I want you to see. That's the point I want you to see. And then finally, here's what he's thankful for, the faithfulness of God. Here's what he's looking at verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the point. The basis of their assurance is the faithfulness of God. The basis of their assurance is the faithfulness of God. Now, here's the point I want you to see. I want you to listen to me. Your assurance is not based on you. Because if it's based on you, do you have any assurance? I mean, you may be having a good week this week, but how do you know what your next week's going to be? Does everybody understand me? Your assurance of who you are as a Christian, your salvation, is based upon the faithfulness, not of you, but the faithfulness of who? God. That's reality. That's reality. And then I want you to notice something. Look now at verse, again, God is the one who called us into fellowship with Christ. God is the one who called us into fellowship with Christ. Let me just stop for a moment. I want you to grasp the reality of this. This is a very important point. 
You did not just wake up one morning and decide that you're going to follow Jesus. No one comes to the Father except what? The Spirit draws them. I want you to grasp the reality of that. That was not just some enlightening moment. Well, you know, I think I'm just going to follow Jesus today. God was already working in your heart, bringing you to that place where you could, what? Follow him. See, this is what he's saying here. God is the one who calls us into fellowship, into a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus. God is the one who calls you. And this is what he's thankful for. Man, a lot to be thankful for, isn't it? He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you gifts. You don't need to wonder, am I of use to Him? He's given you assurance. It's not based upon you, but on His faithfulness. He's given you a lot. And you can see why Paul would be thankful for them. Even in spite of all their problems. You can see why Paul would be thankful. Okay, next week, he's going to launch right into it. And he's going to talk with them about a big issue that they're facing.